Have you seen the, that app, uh, Little Inferno, by no. the guys who created uh, uh, World of Goo? Mm-mm. It's a great game. Uh, it's on Mac Heist right now. I think that's still going on. So if you oh, I saw that. that anyway, um, so my son is three, and he's really adept at using the iPad, but has never really used a computer before. So like the whole mouse thing is totally foreign to him. <laughs> um, but he was watching me play this game, and uh, he gave it a shot, and he's actually learning to click and drag stuff, which is pretty awesome. Awesome. I guess the downside is he's learning to burn things. Uh, <laughs> <which> is, <laughs> nice. It's kind of the point of the game. Uh, so uh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's a trade-off, right? Yes. Dragging, clicking, burning. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode four of iFreaks. This week on our show, we have Rod Schmidt. Hello, hello. Ben Sherman. Hello from Houston. Pete Hodgson. Hello from Echoey, San Francisco. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, and that is Josh Abernethy. Did I say that right? Ohio, yeah. Yeah, you said it right. It has more than two syllables and we screw it up, so. <laughs> People always get thrown off because it's long, but it's just like it looks. I see. So, do you want to introduce yourself really quickly? Yeah, um, I'm Josh Abernethy. I work at GitHub on the GitHub for Mac app and various other side things. And yeah, I've been doing Mac and iOS stuff for quite a while now. So hopefully uh, I'll have something interesting to say about the topic. So is there a GitHub app for iOS? Uh, we have a couple different iOS apps. We have uh, There's an issues app and there's a jobs app. Neither of them are particularly well maintained at the moment. So... <laughs> We, we kind of try to pretend we don't have any iOS apps. I see. I actually tried to use the Issues app the other day. And, <laughs> and then I went and looked. Is it open source? Is it, is, is it available? Can I even no. look at the coding? You no, guys should open not. source it. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of internal discussions about what we need to be doing with our iOS apps and lack thereof. Yeah, yeah. The, the Issues app is kind of interesting in particular because it was written in Lua, and so... A lot of the, uh, like we could open source it, but probably most people wouldn't be terribly interested in the source because it's all Lua. Wow, that's so. What what framework did you guys use to to interface with Objective C? Uh, I, I wasn't involved in that. Um, it was Corey Johnson who did that, and he wrote a I don't know some kind of Lua bridge to Objective C. That so really I, makes me want you guys to open source. <laughs> <laughs> I think his framework is open source. Um, I honestly don't know. It was like two years ago that he, maybe even longer ago that he did that. So it might be open source. I don't know his framework. Yeah, it's it's interesting. There was a kid out here in uh, Utah that wrote, he wrote a game in Lua for the iPhone. Yeah, there are a lot of people who really like the language for its, I guess, its simplicity. It's really common in the game industry. Um, I know one framework for uh, writing iOS apps in Lua. It's called Corona. Uh, oh yeah. But I don't. I think it's more geared for writing games because when you the UI code I've seen like on their demo pages and stuff, it looks totally non-native. Yeah, that's a bummer. I think Angry Birds is written in Lua, right? <laughs> no, seriously. I think. I think. Well, there you go. Think, yeah, I think. Yeah, if Angry, they can do Angry Birds, you could do anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. That's the secret to making billions of dollars on the App Store. Just write your app in Lua and you're golden. <laughs> anyway, so um, we're, we're a little off topic. I'm just uh, curious. So 
what are the major differences? I'm going to just go right to it. What are the major differences between writing an app for the Mac and writing an app for iOS? Oh, man. The <laughs> frameworks are just... Uh, you would think they would be kind of similar, but the frameworks are just worlds apart. Because AppKit's from, I don't know, the 80s, probably. And then UIKit was made for iOS. And so App- UIKit was kind of like their their chance to go back and, and redo all this stuff from AppKit. And it's UIKit is much nicer to work with as a consequence of that. Whereas AppKit, you know, has years and years and years of hacks and, and fixes and whatnot thrown on top of it. And so you have all this cruft that comes with a framework that exists for years, whereas UIKit gets kind of this clean break, nice clean framework feel to it. So it's just very, very different. And AppKit is much more rough around the edges, I would say. So you can't just replace UI with NS and expect your <laughs> yeah, app to work? If only. <laughs> there have been a couple attempts at that, though. The, uh, um, was it the Icon Factory guys created the Chameleon framework, which is kind of like this, you know, being UI kit on the Mac feel to it. And that's what Twitterific for Mac is written in. And then there's also TUI from Twitter, which is what Twitter for Mac was written in, which kind of tries to be similarly UI kit like for Mac, but both have their own downsides. And at the end of the day, you still have to deal with AppKit. You're not escaping it. And it's sadly not just replacing (laughs) NS with UI or UI for NS. Yeah. So I I know that uh, the iOS apps are kind of model view controller-ish. Uh, are are Mac apps kind of the same way? Do you structure them the same way and you just use different parts of the different frameworks or is it is there more to it than that? Yeah, it's it's still generally a model view controller. The difference being that in Mac OS X land, you have to deal with Windows too. And so you have view controllers, but then you also have window controllers. And those can, you know, how exactly those relate. You have your view controllers inside your window controllers, obviously. And then you could have like a document uh, controller if you're a document-based app. And so it's very similar in the, the structure, just with one higher level in the window. Can you do you end up like nesting those those view controllers arbitrarily? Yeah. Or is it always okay. Because I've yeah. always I've always had a hard time with that with like desk. I guess I, in in my in my dark past, I did some flex development. Don't tell anyone. But you're you're going to edit this out, right? <laughs> hey, I keep uh, hearing that you can write iOS apps in flex. Oh man, that's, that's definitely a different topic. But, um, <laughs> yeah, and there's, there's the thing that we always found really challenging with flex development was this kind of like how to structure the the code so that uh, or how to structure like MVC UI patterns when when you want to kind of compose stuff together. And uh, I guess the JavaScript de- development community is kind of going through this at the moment with with things like Backbone and Ember as well. But yeah, is it is it is yeah. it just that you kind of arbitrarily nest these things inside of inside themselves, or how does that work? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we'd probably go crazy if we tried to to fit all of that in, you know, one <laughs> one, one view controller, monolithic view controller. Right? Exactly. It'd be terrible. Yeah, we we try to break it down as much as we can by like conceptual view. So in the GitHub for Mac app, there's like the history view controller, and then when you go into a specific commit, there's a commit view controller and a changes view controller and kind of these high-level architectural pieces. And not to go down like too many, too many rabbit trails, uh, but in GitHub for Mac and some of our other stuff, we've been working with a 
different paradigm. We've been talking about model view controller. Um, we've been trying out a paradigm called model view view model, which you might be familiar with um, if you have any exposure to the Microsoft world. So it's what they do. I was going to uh, say knockout JS, I believe is model yeah. view view model. Oh, okay. I didn't, yeah, I didn't realize that had gone to uh, JavaScript, JavaScript world now. That's interesting. Yeah, I think the guy that wrote Knockout was a, a Microsoft, he, well, he works at Microsoft now, I think, but he was a Microsoft guy and he wanted to, he wanted to bring that kind of MVVM thing to, to JavaScript because there wasn't anything that was doing it at the time. Yeah, if you're curious yeah. and want to know more about it, we actually interviewed him on JavaScript Jabber. So I'll put huh. a link to that in the show notes as well. Yeah, that's interesting. I had no idea he'd made the jump there too. So but, how's that working out for you, the MVVM thing? Uh, it's It's been really, really helpful for us. Um, the big one for us has been that we can break down these pieces into these bits of the app into these pieces that are more easily unit testable. Because for, you know, for model view controller, you often end up with these big view controllers and you just kind of like throw everything in the view controller. But then you can't really test it very easily. Because now like all of that logic of the view is so dependent on the view and not dependent on having like a nib instantiated and, and having a text field on the screen and all that stuff. It's really hard to unit test. And so people try to do like automated UI testing through using accessibility APIs or that sort of thing, which works pretty well, but it's still kind of a hack on the fact that all this logic lives like in your text field or in your nib. But it's been great for us because it lets us really unit test a lot of these, the like behavior and logic of a view without having to instantiate this whole view hierarchy thing. So you can kind of prod the view controller and then check that the view models that it that come out of it uh, look look right is that about um it it's it's kind of it's more that like the view model you might have a view model at like the same kind of level of granularity as you have a view controller so you might have like for us we might have a history view model and that will provide us with like all of the data that we would display in that view and so that'll give us all of the commits that we want to display for a repository or something and so then we can unit test that and be like, all right, given this repository, does the history view model give us the right list of history, the right list of commits? And so oh, we okay, can so test then... that logic without having to be like, okay, is it in a table view? And does it have a table view cell with the title label of this and blah, blah, blah. So the view model actually has behavior in it as well. And you're kind of unit testing that behavior inside the view model? Yeah, the goal is that you can kind of like separate that appearance which is in your view from the behavior and logic of the data, which is in the view model. And so hopefully in that way you can, you can get much more unit test coverage. And for us, we've, we've had a lot, of, um, a lot of success with it. That's awesome. So the is view model is kind of like a data source? Yeah, yeah. You could definitely think of it like the data source and the behavior guy, behavior source, behavior controller, whatever. And are you guys, is this like a, um, did you kind of build a framework around this or is this more of a kind of a, a conceptual pattern that just you think about when you're building the code? Yeah, it really doesn't require much of like any kind of framework or infrastructure support per se. We have like a, a super class, but it really doesn't do anything at all. I mean, they're basically just plain objects, plain NS objects. Cool. Um, you need like some kind of data binding between your view and your view model. And that's where you could have some kind of framework that helps you with that. But that's, yeah, kind of a different topic. 
So you mentioned uh, automated testing. Are you guys, does this, um, I know that GitHub are really uh, big on CI or at least definitely well known for, for, for having lots of good CI practices. So mm-hmm. is that, are you guys using um, kind of automated testing in a CI pipeline for, for the Mac app as well? Yeah, yeah, we have a CI server. It's, I think it's just a Mac mini at the office now. <laughs> and we, yeah, and it builds on every push. Awesome. So it runs the unit tests, runs through all the unit tests and gives us a build. Awesome. Yeah. So we talked about testing, what, last week? What What are the testing tools for Mac apps? Well, we just do unit testing. We we don't do any um, any kind of automated UI testing because it, tends to be fragile and it's not clear what exactly the wins would be for us compared to unit testing. So for unit testing, we just, we use um, two frameworks called Specta and Expecta, which are kind of behavior driven design sort of test things. We don't really follow any, any like strong pattern, but it lets us write unit tests that are really fluent. So you can say it should display or it should give us the top 10 commits and then say the top 10 commits should equal this. And so it eliminates a lot of the boilerplate around that you typically have to write for like OC unit tests and those, those sorts of frameworks. So it sounds like kind of uh, similar to Kiwi on iOS. Yeah, yeah, very similar. I think the only big difference between the two is uh, the syntax, because I think Kiwi is kind of more message passing syntax, Objective-C message passing, and Specta is more dot syntax. I don't okay. know. Yeah. The, the Specta is... matches better with the RSpecs uh, new style, where you say everything expect, and then you wrap that. And I think that's probably more readable than the uh, message patching style, because you end up having a lot of nested square brackets yeah. in the Kiwi yeah. matcher syntax. Yeah. And I think Kiwi does some, I think Specta does a better job of the, um, I guess you call it type inference, but kind of more generically, you can just say expect one to equal two or whatever, and you don't have to worry about what the types of those things are. Uh, right, because you're already wrapping but, everything. Yeah, so it's... Oh, that's that's a definite reason to switch. Yeah, that <laughs> is. Yeah. The, the, the value wrappers. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> gotta use this. <laughs> is yeah, that, I never is that available for iOS here. as well? Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely going to look into that. Yeah, they're really nice. Specta is like the framework, and then Expecta is all the matchers. Cool. Does it do mocking as well, or do you need to use something else for the mocking? No, it doesn't do mocking. We use OC mock or whatever that thing is called. Yep. I don't see any reason why you couldn't uh, uh, embed this in Kiwi, though, right? Because all it does is raise an exception just like Kiwi would. Yeah, I have no idea. I, I assume they're basically the same thing under the hood. I mean, I would assume it's all like OC unit under the hood. Right. So I wonder if we could like step back for a minute. And um, so I remember uh, trying out my first Mac app. Uh, I was reading Aaron Hillegas' book, uh, Coco Programming for the Mac OS X. Yeah, it's a classic. Yeah. And uh, it, it was so different because I was reading it for the purposes of writing an iPhone app. And I, it was just so different. But I did go through the tutorials and 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 take a look at uh, However, the the things that you would end up using, like the table NS table view and some of the other things, just seem so, I guess, basic or bland. That all the Mac apps that I know and love uh, <laughs> don't look like that. So I'm wondering, yeah. do do the 
like the top apps just end up rolling their own stuff or is it just like heavy uh, subclassing customization or? Yeah, it's probably a lot of, a lot of both. I think that there's, well, up until, what was it? Mac OS 10.7, I think. Pretty sure it's 10.7. Um, all table views, NS table views, they had cells, which, I mean, in UI kit you have cells, but they're UI views, right? And so it's a pretty standard thing. But for NS table views, cells are not views. Cells are these things that they call, they kind of treat them like stamps. And these cells, you just kind of stamp out your view. Because this comes from back in the day when you didn't have all kinds of memory to keep views in. You wanted your table view to scroll quickly. And so you needed this really lightweight object that knew how to draw a cell for a table view. And it couldn't even be a view. It had to just be an object. And so these NS cells were really kind of a pain in the butt to use and a pain in the butt to customize because they're not views. And so you can't add things to their hierarchy. And so that was really, really annoying for a really, really long time. And so a lot of people rolled their own like view-based NS table view replacements. Um, and so I, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of table views and a lot of apps are really their own custom table view replacements based on view cells. But then in 10.7, I think it was, we got NS table view now can handle view-based cells and, and life is a little bit better. It's still a little bit of a ghetto, but a little bit better. <laughs> so I have, a, I have a question for you. It seems like most of the Apple events and announcements, they seem to spend a lot more time on iOS than they do on Mac. <laughs> yeah. I'm just kind of curious, do Mac developers feel like they're kind of being pushed to the side or? <laughs> oh man, I'm I'm not the guy to, to ask about this. I'm, I'm fairly cynical anymore about Mac development or I don't know, Apple development generally. I mean, obviously like Apple's focus right now is iOS and that makes a lot of sense. That's where their money is. So why would that not be where their focus is? That's where the future is. So it makes sense that that's where they would focus. I mean, it it does suck that it feels like so little attention is paid to the Mac, especially in terms of APIs, like I talked about earlier. In many ways, AppKit is still stuck in the past, stuck in the way we did things 10 years ago. And it hasn't changed much. It's changed a little, but not nearly enough. And that, I mean, that bothers me, but at the same time, I understand why Apple wouldn't want to pour any more time or money into Mac than they really have to. doesn't make any sense business-wise. Mm -hmm. well, what about the, uh, the influx of, of Mac users that, you know, I think for a lot of people, and I think I'm probably in this category where I came to Mac via iOS, and I wanted yeah. to get a Mac because I wanted to write for iOS. So, like, you know, the just regular people, non-techies, uh, who get an iPhone and they just love the way it looks and feels and the way it just works and they hear, the you know, the hype at the Apple Store or whatever. <laughs> so I wonder if there's just all these new Mac users that should be paid attention to, right? Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. I In my frustration, I don't know, a couple of years back, I wrote a blog post about why Apple should care because there are all these iOS developers who now want to make Mac counterparts to their apps. And they come to AppKit and they come to Mac development and it's the stone ages and Apple should care about that because that, because the Mac is still where people get a lot of work done, right? Like we're developers. And so we probably spend more time on our Mac than maybe a lot of people, 
But the Mac is still where people do a lot of work. And so they should care. They should care that developers are coming to Mac and throwing up their hands in disgust and leaving or writing their own <laughs> UI frameworks or jumping through all kinds of hoops. Like they should care. But at the same time, you look at some of the fires they have in iOS land with, you know, iCloud and core data syncing and they have enough other fires burning that I'm sure are much more important to them than Mac development is. Even though, I, I mean, I, I agree. I think there is a business case for caring. It's still, you know, relatively weak, I think. I wonder if their, um, their kind of long-term strategy is just to merge the two and then they'll just kind of, uh, everyone will just use UIKit for everything. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with 10.9. If 10.9 yeah. is a much more obvious merging of the two worlds. Because it feels like with, especially, I mean, the last few releases, because they've been kind of figuring out the, the extra stuff you need for iPad for like bigger real estate, mm-hmm. stuff like stuff like collection views makes it kind of vaguely feasible that you could use the same frameworks for building like a, a desktop app rather than just a tiny little, you know, table view with a table. <laughs> yeah, it has been interesting to see. And with the, um, like the, what is it, view controller containment stuff. Yeah, it's been interesting to see how they try to scale up some of those UI kit paradigms. Yeah, because that was really painful for a while when the iPad first came out, and you were everyone was rolling their own. I remember like no end of frustration trying to figure out how to put a view controller inside a view controller, and then oh wait, we're not supposed to do that. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, good times. Yeah. See, we do that on Mac, but a view controller isn't nearly as central on. Mac development as it is in iOS. And so it's much less of a big deal to kind of embed them within each other. Right. On the, on the Mac, there's the NSU controller class. Do you guys use that much? Um, we have a subclass of it that we use. Uh-huh. NSU controller itself isn't, doesn't really do much for you. I right. mean, it'll load like a view or a, a nib. And it has a view property. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, that's basically it. It's like, yeah, we have a view. We're controlling it. <laughs> what more do you want from me? <laughs> mm-hmm. So do you run into any, we, we talked a couple weeks ago about memory management. Is is memory management terribly difficult on the Mac? No, I mean, it's it's even easier. I mean, relatively easier than on iOS. Because on iOS, you actually have to kind of worry about how much memory you're using. Though maybe that's less so these days. But on Mac, I mean, as long as you're not using absor- exorbitant amounts of memory, doesn't especially matter. Um, Obviously, you still want to keep a a handle on how much you're using at any one time, but it's not like iOS where the OS will just kill you if you ask for too much. And OS X has garbage collection right now, right? But they're taking it away, is that right? It's been officially deprecated. So it's, yeah, I, I don't know. We use garbage collection in GitHub for Mac and then switch to Arc pretty quickly because... As much as I like the idea of garbage collection, it was really buggy with respect to some other Apple frameworks. Hmm. So it was an option, but never a terribly great option. And switching over to Arc, was, was that painful or was that like pretty straightforward? <laughs> it was fairly painful for a little bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, less painful than going to manual memory management, but there's stuff like uh, notifications. You didn't, in garbage collection, you didn't have to res- remove the observer for notifications. And so then we went to to Arc, and suddenly, you know, everyone is trying to message deallocated observers. And so it was a little bit of a pain in the butt, but what can you do? <laughs> so I, I was really surprised when they 
they deprecated garbage collection, but then I, I guess I, I've never, I haven't done that much OSX wow. development, so I didn't know that it was buggy. I mean, I guess hearing that it's kind of buggy makes me understand, but without that, yeah. I'm like, why would you get rid of garbage collection? No, it, it still, it broke my heart. I wish they would have, I don't know. I mean, it was, it was really buggy, especially back in the day with, um, with 10.6 and core animation. It was extremely buggy. I wish they would have fixed it, but it's hard to know if, you know, given that they have to be a superset of C, it's hard to know how much fixing it would have really done for it. Yeah. I, I wish we had garbage collection, though, still. I really wish we had garbage collection. Every time I do the stupid, weak, strong dance for blocks, I wish we had garbage collection. <laughs> yeah. So um, another concept that uh, I learned when learning from that book was the concept of binding which we just don't have on iOS. And I'm wondering if anybody really uses that or if it's <laughs> sort of a technology that's going away. Yeah. Binding was a weird one. It was like, I feel like Mac OS X has this funny history of, of Apple being really excited about new APIs for, a, for like one OS release and then they drop it and they're like, ah, that never really happened. Pretend that never happened. And Bindings is, is in that category where they were like, this is great. It eliminates all this boilerplate. Just let you glue your two components together. And, and then they just never really talked about it ever again. And for us, we use it in a few places. Um, the idea of binding, I think, is sound, but the implementation of Cocoa Bindings was um, hard to debug, really awkward to use for a lot of controls. And the way it plays with actually with memory management semantics is really goofy too. And so for a lot of those reasons, I think a lot of people don't use them. We use them pretty sparingly. Yeah, I'm always, I have this healthy fear of things like that where uh, some critical part of your application's logic is a setting in a property pane somewhere in <laughs> interface builder. <laughs> and if you yeah. accidentally fat finger it, like you're never going to look at the diff and know what you did. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and you can't set a breakpoint on that. So I, I just kind of wholeheartedly dismissed the uh, the whole binding system just from pain in doing that same sort of thing in Windows forms back in like .NET 2.0 days. Yeah, um, but it was curious to know, you know, does anybody really use it? And it, it sounds like it's still it's still there. But uh, I think there are still some people who really like bindings for simple things like user defaults is pretty straightforward to bind and I think a, lot, a fair amount of Mac developers do it for that but but yeah having your application stability and logic being tied to a random string in an IB field is is pretty terrifying so uh, are are there any frameworks or any uh, libraries that you use in Mac development that we don't have in iOS that you wish we did huh nothing immediately comes to mind i think that Maybe some of like the uh, the core image stuff might not be on iOS, but honestly, I I don't know. I've never done enough of that stuff to feel the pain of a uh, missing framework. Mostly, I find myself wishing I had iOS frameworks on Mac. Uh, which ones? Which ones would you? Well, I would love to have UIKit on Mac. <laughs> <laughs> Just throw AppKit out the window, but. Um... Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you think that you know if if Apple does decide? Um, you know, perhaps at WWDC this year, that uh, AppKit needs a rethinking, kind of like UIKit got from a fresh start. And as a result, it's a much better, more modern, uh, usable framework. Do you think that they might just deprecate AppKit entirely and create something new? 
or or do they want a fresh coat of paint on AppKit? <laughs> I would love to see them just deprecate AppKit and give us a new way forward. I mean, I think it feels like they keep trying to kind of fix AppKit, like in core animation support for AppKit, which they introduced in like 10.5 or something. They're still trying to fix AppKit to support core animation layers. And that's kind of what it feels like, is that they're, they're kind of trying to put Band-Aids over these things, trying to plug every, every hole. But I don't think that works, because AppKit is just from a different era. It's from a completely different era, and it might have been awesome 20 years ago, but it's not awesome now. And I think, <laughs> I think the best way for it, I mean, UIKit is like the example for that. They threw out AppKit. They could have used AppKit. But they threw it out. They made UIKit. It was a completely clean break. And AppKit is, is mostly really nice to work with. And so I would love to see them do that with AppKit. Just throw it out, deprecate it, and start so something new. I, I, wonder I mean, if, it's not like uh, they have a fear of deprecating things, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes so, me think that they just won't. So I wonder um, if this has any kind of corollary with the switch from carbon to cocoa. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that was before my time, but from what I understand, Carbon apps were in C++ or something. I don't even know, but uh, it was just a totally different architecture, completely different environment. And switching to Cocoa was a, kind of a huge thing for these like really long-standing Mac apps. Yeah, I think that's a great example. I mean, Apple has a long history of deprecating things aggressively, and it's usually for the better. And so I would love for them to deprecate AppKit and give us something new. I mean, it's a huge undertaking, though, right? I, writing a new UI framework is is ridiculously huge task to get all those little things right. It's it's a big deal. Are so there, I I feel for them, but I think it should be done. Are there any reasons why they couldn't just adapt UIKit to work on the Mac? Well, I mean, it works on the Mac, right? Because the simulator is running I mean, UIKit, presumably. I'm, I don't know. I, I'm, Sure, there are like paradigm problems with just giving us UI kit. I bet the graphic performance is horrible. Like relatively, like I'm I'm sure there's loads of stuff under the covers that's really optimized for the processor and the GPU on on iPhone. Like it's I'm I would guess it's really really optimized for an ARM processor. But but they are they are in control of the hardware too. So this is a problem that they could address. True. Yeah. Right. And also, this who was cares a PC about- world where the the guts could be anything, any combination of parts. I could understand why they would be hesitant, but when they own the entire ecosystem, they can kind of do whatever they want. Sure. I think pretty much all they'd have to do is add support for uh, multiple windows and overlapping windows. Yeah. Unless you change the whole UI paradigm. Yeah, that that brings up an interesting point. Why, like iOS, I, I think it's a lot easier, uh, just in terms of. It's all hypermodal. You have way less things that you can do, so it it sort of focuses your attention to things that okay. I only have five places for buttons, uh, <laughs> so that's a good thing. And I, I feel like uh, this is why I I think I'm really bad at iPad app design because there's just too many places I could put things, and so <laughs> that the number of choices on Mac is, are even greater than that. So I I would have a hard time designing a Mac app. I think. <laughs> Yeah. I'm going to have to find an image of an iPad app that's like all buttons. <laughs> Ben's app on the iPad. <laughs> yeah. 
I think that's true of the the APIs as well. I mean, I guess that's partly what Josh has been saying is that with UIKit or with Cocoa Touch, you you've only you, there's only there's pretty much one way to do most things, and and it's there's not that much to look around for. But I remember when I was writing this little OSX app and. The, just the size of the API that's kind of accumulated over time is is pretty intimidating. It's like, I just want to open a dialogue. How do I do that? There's like <laughs> sheets and there's alerts and there's activities and, you know. Yeah. Like, do you have, have you ever do done you Win32 any... programming? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Horrible. <laughs> I guess, are there any tips for like how to know which bits of the API are, you know, are the bits that people should still be using and which bits are just like the crafty corners? <laughs> that you should just avoid at all costs? <laughs> well, drawers. Drawers are right off. You I wish I'd known that. At all. <laughs> Those were big in like maybe 10.1, and they're still there. You can still make drawers on your windows. But drawers are, yeah, don't use drawers. Um, I don't know. It probably just comes from from having experience on the APIs. It really is kind of overwhelming, and especially compared to iOS, you look at... Yeah. Like a, a table view, NS table view has a clip view and a scroll view. And what do both of those things do? And why do you need both of those things in addition to a table view? I mean, it's it's more complex, that's for sure. And a lot more customization requires subclassing, which is terrible. It really okay. comes from a day of where you didn't do things custom. You You only did the straightforward thing because probably custom would be slower and, and much more expensive. So are you guys in the in the app store with the, the Mac uh, app? No, no, we're we're not in the app store. Um, is there a reason for that? Uh, sandboxing would be pretty difficult for us. Uh, okay. It's not impossible, but some of the things we would have to give up for sandboxing would be would really suck. So for right now, there's no real reason we we need to be in the app store, and so we don't jump through the hoops necessary. I wonder how much of a success the app store has been overall. I'm not sure if the Apple released numbers on how many people are using it, but yeah, I don't know. And for a little bit there, it seemed like there were a lot of stories about you know prominent developer leaves Mac app store because sandboxing or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's changed at all recently. I know in my experience, it takes a lot less sales of your Mac app to get into the top charts than, than it does on iOS. Yeah, I'm sure it's tiny. I'm sure the amount of people using it is is minuscule compared to the iOS app store. I actually kind of like that because um, one of the arguments that people always make against web apps is, oh, people won't be able to discover it and you need an app store so people can find your application. And the counter example I always give to them is like, oh, is that why everyone uses the app store for their for their apps on on Mac, it's like no, they don't actually. <laughs> Turns yeah. out the web has this uh, search functionality that people use quite a lot. <laughs> kind well, of a big deal. That. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting too. I mean, I think we mo- uh, I think all of us use Macs in our daily usage, and just think about you know the number of apps that you get out of the App Store versus the number of apps that you you know download off the web and just you know install or copy over to your app application folder or something. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if Apple makes any changes in 10.9 to kind of encourage more Mac App Store usage. Well, you already have to go in and uh, check the box that says allow third-party <laughs> yeah. programs. Yeah, our nightmare is when it becomes much more difficult. Yeah, that's true. Hopefully they never do that. 
<laughs> yeah, let's hope so. But you never know. I mean, it is a business, and they they definitely make money when you buy stuff out of the app store. So yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what ten point nine gives us. If they we, continue to merge with iOS or if it's still a pretty separate deal. Are we expecting 10.9 at uh, WWDC or, you know, sometime this summer? I think they said they were going to go to a once a uh, yearly release schedule, didn't they? Like, yeah, I remember, iOS. I remember John Syracuse was lamenting that because he has his epic review that he does all the time. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, this sucks. There's rumors that... Uh, the Mac developers have been pulled onto iOS 7, so Mac 10.9 is delayed, will be delayed. Um, yeah, be so surprising. maybe we'll get it this summer or late summer or something like that. Yeah. I wonder if anyone at Apple has ever read The Mythical Man Month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Josh, I was wondering if, if there are any like resources online. Like, It's got to be hard to kind of weed out like all of the iPhone-specific stuff. Um, I, I know some resources that I look at, like uh, Coco Controls uh, does iOS and Mac, um, like third-party okay. libraries or whatever. Um, I'm just wondering if there's any kind of specific to Mac that you look at, or you know maybe books or something that are still relevant today. Not really. I mean, it's pretty few and far between. I usually just search Google search or search on GitHub to see if I can find something that I'm looking for. I mean, with UI stuff, it's usually a completely lost cause. You're not going to find a whatever kind of custom UI you're looking for for Mac, probably. Whereas on iOS, if you wanted like a, a custom progress indicator or something, there's like 10 different custom progress indicators you can find. But on Mac, it's just you're probably out of luck. Um, when it comes to kind of more generic libraries like networking or data storage or that sort of thing, you can usually bring it to Mac without that much work if you need to. And do you, um, do you have any, like, I don't know, like when I download um, iOS apps, I'm always kind of like visually picking them apart and trying to figure out how they did certain things and trying to learn from that. Uh, Are there any like Mac apps that you look at and be like, how did they do that? Or. um... (laughs) Yeah, sure. I mean, these days Mac apps, I mean, really what was the last Mac app that came out that you were really excited about? Maybe TweetBot. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, it's like one a year, maybe. (laughs) And so (laughs) it's definitely interesting when those things come out because it's, you know, I'm super excited. Like, whoa, someone made a Mac app. Can you believe that? (laughs) Isn't that cute? Um, And so, yeah, I mean, TweetBot's interesting. Uh, I really like the Twitter for Mac app, despite the fact that it's now really starting to show its age. It's really well done. I, I kept with it for a long time until I got a Retina MacBook Pro, and then I was like, "Oh, I couldn't get off of it fast enough." <laughs> that's why I can't. That's why I can't upgrade to a MacBook Pro Retina yet, is because I can't give it up. But yeah, so I mean, it's exciting when those things come out, and I I love to see what people are doing with the UI. Um, Reader for Mac was interesting when it came out, but these things are just so few and far between. I I get excited when it happens, but man, it's like an event. Have you ever uh, looked at the hit list to to do application? Yeah, yeah. I really love this app. It's one of my favorite, just well designed apps. It's it's got tons of features. It looks great. Uh, but when I look at this, I'm like, I don't even know the first step <laughs> to building something like this. Yeah, uh, it's inspirational to look at, but man, I can't it, imagine it the tough. amount of custom work that went into that app. And it's I'm... one guy. <laughs> 
people are <laughs> some people are just disgustingly talented. <laughs> yeah, that I mean that app or things app is was really is really great still in the UI. It's not as custom, but it's really just well polished. I mean, much like their i iOS app. Yep. So, are there any books or other resources that you would uh, recommend? Mm, for for Mac development. For Mac development. Uh, I mean, we we talked about you know differentiating between Mac and iOS stuff, but are, are there? If somebody wanted to make the transition, what would you tell them to do? I mean, the Hillegas book is probably the the kind of seminal work on Cocoa development on the Mac. So, uh, I would certainly recommend that. I mean, I don't know that there are any extremely modern resources anymore for Mac. Back in the day, you used to have, you know, the, the great bloggers of old who were Mac developers. Um, but no one really blogs much anymore, and especially not about Mac stuff. So resources are pretty sparse. I mean, they were always sparse for Mac development. Not many people were ever doing Mac development. But by comparison to iOS development, they're extremely sparse. So it, it involves a lot of experimentation, especially when you're trying to figure out a, a custom control, a lot of experimenting and Googling and crossing your fingers, hoping someone else has stumbled across the same thing. Yeah. Do you have any uh, sort of guidance or recommendation for uh, creating an app that is on both platforms, iOS and Mac, and sharing code between them? Um, I, I don't really. I haven't done it. And so I can't really make any any concrete recommendations. I mean... Chameleon that I talked about earlier that the Icon Factory made, that was kind of their goal with Chameleon was to be able to share a lot of the UI code between Twitterific on iOS and Twitterific on Mac. And so that's why that exists, is to be able to share a lot of that code. I, I'm not sure if that's really a great way forward, but they seem to do all right with it. it that, I think that's really interesting to me because... I mean, I've built apps that share code, um, but it's usually at the business logic data layer, not the not the other way around. Yeah, yeah. We've had some interesting discussions um, internal on the GitHub team to how we would share things between the GitHub for Mac and GitHub for Windows apps. Because there's a lot of things that we do that are basically the same, but in different languages and APIs and whatnot, which is a whole different problem, but kind of similar in that you can end up saying, well, we'll share a lot of the data access code or a lot of the model code but everything else has to be fairly custom for the platform you just have to rewrite it all in lua <laughs> exactly exactly well now yeah. there's uh there's xamarin so you can just write it all in c sharp right and be done right. with it right there's also uh i mean there's a bunch of different cross-platform things i've, I've actually never thought of, of cross-platform desktop before that's i mean i guess that is what people do is use use something like lua i mean like a yeah, Titanium has a uh, cross-platform desktop version, uh -huh. uh, but it's you know it's kind of the same story as all the cross-platform things. You end up really getting you you really need to be an expert in those things, those frameworks, and that comes at the expense of you learning like the proper AppKit way or the proper Windows way or whatever. Right. For for an example of um, of an app that does do. IOS and Mac on the same code base. Apparently, um, Cheddar, which is this to-do app that Sam Sam Soffers, I think that's how you say his last name, yeah. he made that and he um, he said that it was the same code base. And I think he open sourced. I know he open sourced the iOS code base. So presumably that means he open sourced the whole thing. But um, yeah, I'm yeah, pretty sure the Mac app is open source now too. 
Yeah. So it'd be if, if people are looking for examples, that's that's one to look at. Well, you can even run into it a little bit in the model layer. Like if you have an image property on on an object. I mean, on iOS it's UI image and, and Mac it's NS image. So you gotta do a type def or a, a, <laughs> a, a if def or something. Yeah. Yeah. Interestingly, this is also where model view view model can kind of help you out because at least in theory, you could share a lot of the view model logic as well between platforms. I guess it depends on how much of of the actual view design is the same, but conceptually, at least you could end up sharing more of that. Yeah, well, if they're using the same data or mostly the same data, then your view model will look mostly the same. I would think so. so yeah. Yeah, if you're not familiar with the concept of view models, I highly recommend that you go check it out because it is an interesting way of thinking of things. It's kind of like a presenter, but not quite the same thing. And and I don't yeah. know. I'm not going to go into the differences, but it's, you know, it it is an interesting concept and and I really like the way that it applies to some of the things that I've seen it do in JavaScript. So, I think its biggest enemy is its own name because you had like, <laughs> you know, model view presenter, model view controller, and then model view view model and it just kind of seemed like Okay, now you're just trolling me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did I just have a stroke or something? It's it's also it's weird to, uh, to apply that in the web, and I think it makes a lot more sense in a rich client experience, right? Where you can have like actual binding or actual like interaction that changes state rather than like a page refresh or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, I think it maps better in that environment. I think if you're doing, <clears throat> if you're doing, you know, you can do rich client web apps, right? Like they're just single page, single page JavaScript. Right. Just happen happen to be using HTML as the presentation presentation there. I think I've heard I've heard that's where people have had success with with like knockout and the data binding stuff is when it's a single page app and and you're you're really pretty close to a rich client at that point. Yeah, um, it has been interesting to see how the web has has kind of tried to reinvent or has had to reinvent some of these like rich client, I don't know, I guess design paradigms. Yeah. So does the the MVVM stuff that you guys are using, does that have data binding in it or are you kind of manually moving? Yeah. No, we, no, it would be, it would be terrible if we were manually keeping it all. We use, um, we use Reactive Cocoa to do the binding. Ah, uh, right, right. The, the view to the view model, um, which under the hood is key value observing. So um, not Cocoa bindings, but kind of similar. And that makes sure everything is kept in sync between the different layers. Cool. I really want us to do a show on Reactive Cocoa because I think it's really, really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fantastic, but I might be a bit biased. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. Is there anything else that we've missed as far as Mac development goes before we get into the picks? If you're doing Mac development, may God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a small group, but it's a small, proud group of Mac developers. And you'll make me extremely happy if you ever make a Mac app, anyone. I'm so pumped when someone releases a Mac app. All right. Cool. Well, let's get into the picks. Ben, what are your picks? Okay, so I am less prepared this time than before. <laughs> <laughs> Shame. Uh, yeah, so uh, I will pick uh, three things. The first one is um, I, I like these little cards uh, that people have, the like the uh, really good card stock or whatever. They're the kind of like half size business cards. And I recently got a bunch of those for NS Screencast. 
and uh, got them from Moo.com. And every time I hand one out, it comes with a little card holder. And uh, it's just kind of slick, and everybody's always commenting about those. So I usually take those at conferences and hand them out. Uh, just really good quality cardstock. Uh, so that's Moo.com. Another app I use on my... I guess this is kind of continuing on my uh, developer tools uh, pick list is Kaleidoscope for diffs, which is like by far the sexiest diff tool you've ever seen. Uh, that's at kaleidoscopeapp.com. I actually used that uh, for just diffing uh, back when it was owned by Sofa uh, or We Are Sofa, and then it got acquired by um, Black Pixel, and they basically answered my prayer to. Uh, to add merging support to that. So it's got the three-way merge uh, support in it. And then uh, I'd also like to pick uh, the Briefs app, which is actually the release date was just announced on Twitter while we were on the call. It's going to be May 1st. And this is a Mac app uh, and iOS app for doing I'm like... I'm so Twitter. happy right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for If you don't know the history of Briefs, like maybe two and a half years ago, could have been even three years ago, uh, I remember we were using briefs and they were trying to get it in the Mac app store. I mean, sorry, in the iOS app store. And it got rejected time and time and again. And the creator, Rob Ryan from Martian craft, he just kind of gave up on it. And he was like, I spent a year of my life on this and they're never going to approve it. And, uh, then I was talking to one of the developers at, um, uh, at CocoConf in Dallas and, uh, seemed like they were nearing completion of a version that was sort of blessed by Apple and uh, both apps have been approved and they'll be coming out May 1st. So you can find that at giveabrief.com and uh, that will probably be released by the time this episode is out. So Nice. I saw a really cool demo of that at um, CocoConf in San Jose just, just this weekend. It looked really, really cool. Very incredible how fast you can like put together a prototype. Awesome. Rod, what are your picks? Uh, yeah. Oh, Josh, just, just so you know, I have a Mac app too, so... It's oh, not, good, it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are I, making me so happy. I actually have two, so. Oh, my gosh. Um, my first pick will be uh, one of Josh's projects. I'm a, a language. I like to study compilers, and someday I hope to write my own language. But he has a project called Closure M that is a closure to Objective-C compiler that I thought looked interesting. I haven't, so I'd like to check that out. I also have a fantasy about writing stuff in Lisp, so. <laughs> that, that goes in with that. And also, my second pick is the Oblivion soundtrack. Uh, someone posted a link up to it on radio, and I gave it a listen, listen and it, uh, it's a good soundtrack, written by the same guys that did the uh, Tron Legacy soundtrack. Oh, cool. Yeah, band called Daft Punk. It's kind of cool stuff. All right, uh, Pete, what are your picks? Actually, so I, I was thinking about picking my own Mac app, just because I can do that. Uh, and then I realized that my developer license expired and I was too lazy to update it, so it's now not in the App Store. But I did write and I did write a, a Mac app, so I should be happy. <laughs> uh, there's so much amazing about that sentence. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> kind of sums up a lot of things, maybe. It really does, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was man. actually making some money as well. Like not, I mean, you know, it wasn't going to put my kid through college, but... So is I guess that like gonna... for, is that like forgetting to uh, renew your uh, SSL certificate? Something like that. <laughs> yeah, there I might can't be ever some... trust you. There <laughs> might be someone who's like really mad at me because they they can't get an update for their app. Um, I'm going to pick free. I, I actually just like fired up the App Store and pick and looked for apps that I've actually installed to see 
try and find some useful apps. So the free apps I'm going to pick is an app called Cloud, um, which is just like a really ridiculously easy way to take a screenshot and share it um, with someone. So it's a little thing that runs in your toolbar. And whenever you take a screenshot, it notices and uploads it to a URL and puts the URL in your clipboard. So you literally hit like Command Shift 4 to take a screenshot and then there's a little ding noise and it's in your clip the URL for that screenshot is in your clipboard. So it's great when you're when you want to show show someone, when you want to share, you know, what's on your a screen, you know, if you found a bug or something like that. Another app is MindNode, which is like a mind mapping application. Um, I really like mind mapping for like doing kind of brainstorming and um, and also taking notes during conferences. I try to do it when I'm at conferences, I try to close my laptop and use a notepad to, to do that stuff. But uh, in general, MindNode is a good thing. Uh, and then LimeChat, which is an IRC client if you're an IRC person. And my other pick is a blog from uh, an ex-coworker of mine, Dan Tao, philosopherdeveloper.com. And I picked this because he had like a quite a relevant post about um, called people are not resources and he mentions in that the whole thing of like um, Apple shipping um, shipping OSX developers over to iOS and and um, referencing the mythical man month so I recommend that that blog nice all right I'll go next so um, I'm I'm a fan of Downton Abbey so I'm gonna pick Downton Abbey even though it's not on TV right now it, it was kind of interesting because uh, my wife really likes those uh, period pieces and I I just can't get into them, but but for some reason this one really did. It was it was uh, fun to just watch and see all the interactions, see like technology move forward. So they got these uh, electric lights <laughs> in the house, and uh, you know the old lady's like, I can't deal with them; they're too bright. And they get a telephone, and so they're not quite sure how to deal with it. And anyway, it's just a fascinating show. Um, related to that, if you're a fan of Downton Abbey, there is a uh, video on YouTube, and uh, it is uh, season four, episode one, sneak peek. It's a spoof. It is hilarious. So uh, I'll put links to both of those in the show notes. Uh, I'll put a link to the Downton Abbey on Amazon. If you have Amazon Prime, you can watch them for free. And then my last pick is something that... Uh, I think Josh might know a little bit about, and that is GitHub. Um, <laughs> a little something. I'm, I'm not cool, I hear. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of useful. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not sure um, if it's been picked on the show before, but uh, if you're looking for a way to share open source apps, or you know, just a place to uh, provide some uh, source control management, uh, then that. GitHub's a great place to go, and they have all kinds of features in there, like a wiki for your project and issues, uh, you know, to track problems with your your app. You can do pull requests, or you know, people can send you pull requests. Um, so it's just a terrific place and a terrific way to uh, participate in open source. So uh, anyway, those are my picks, and we'll we'll hear what Josh has to pick. Um, I have uh, just one pick. So a few weeks ago, uh, Facebook announced the Facebook Home or whatever it's called, um, which I could give and take, give or take. But it was interesting to me the uh, conversation that kind of started after that about Quartz Composer and how Facebook uses uh, Quartz Composer to uh, design some of their some of the things involved in Facebook Home. And so there was uh, there's a guy who put together David O'Brien. He put together some. Uh, great YouTube tutorials on using Quartz Composer. 
to create these kind of interactable prototypes of, of some of the great animations in Facebook Home. And that was, uh, for me at least, it's always inspiring to see these really well-designed products that are just really, uh, really human and really alive feeling, like Facebook Home seems to be. And then to be able to recreate that in Quartz Composer is just amazing to me. It was really, really inspiring to see how much you can do in Quartz Composer. And makes me wonder why we don't have tools like Quartz Composer that can actually turn that into like an app if you can design so much within it. So, um, so that is my pick. Um, you can download uh, Quartz Composer and download the, uh, the videos on YouTube or, or Vimeo or wherever. There's also a, a branch thread in a Quora question asking questions about how to use Quartz Composer to prototype software. And um, a couple of the designers from Facebook actually chime in on the uh, branch thread talking about how, how to do some things in Quartz Composer. So that was really interesting and uh, pretty inspiring to me to read through. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for coming, Josh. It was an interesting conversation. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, um, thank you for listening, and we will catch you all next week.